Welcome to Sound of Truth Weekly Interview, where we have conversations with ordinary people to learn how our extraordinary God is at work in people's lives and in the world today. I'm your host, Brett Morani, and I'm excited you've joined us. On our previous weekly interview, Amy Shields was my guest, and she shared about her conversion to Christ and was telling her story, an amazing story. If you have not had a chance to listen to that episode, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that episode before you listen to this one, because this episode is a continuation of that episode. This is part two of my interview with Amy Shields, who is the founder and executive director of Bring Your Brokenness Ministry. Amy, thank you for joining us again on Sound of Truth Weekly Interview. I'm so glad to be back. Thanks for the invite. So to summarize, you had an amazing story of a very unusual childhood in that you were abducted twice. This was your parents basically fighting over the custody of you and your younger brother, Michael, who was 22 months younger than you. Exactly. You started off your first three years on the East Coast here in the state of Virginia, and your father abducted you and took you to the state of Washington, and you spent the next roughly four years. Yes there. And then your mother came and abducted you from your biological father and brought you back to the East Coast of Virginia. That's right. And she had remarried Correct. a pastor. And your stepfather became, this pastor became your new daddy. And now you're in church all the time, prayed to receive Christ as a 12-year-old. 12-year-old, mm-hmm. yes, sir. But you went through traumatic teen years, specifically in regard to sexual abuse. That's right. And then you arrived on the campus of Liberty University, and you shared with me that you've had a full scholarship because of voice. You were a singer. Yes. Such a blessing. Yeah. And it was in your college years that you really came to understand what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ. You want to pick up there in your story? Sure. I'd be glad to. So thankful for the years that I was able to um, to travel and sing with dear friends who, who taught me about a relationship with Jesus. Unfortunately, I had never processed any part of my life, really. I'd never processed the trauma from early on. I'd never processed any of the sexual trauma through my teen years. And um, as I shared in the previous episode, I, I did share about the first time that something happened and was just so ashamed by that response that I didn't dare tell anybody else anything that happened. So every time something happened, it just it was like just confirmed. It was just another sign of unworthiness and grossness, if you will. Um, now, that, did you project this upon God that he must not love me? Was there any part of this? How was that relationship with the Lord? What, what, what were you thinking about him? Where's God in this? I... I was embarrassed for God to look at me. I was embarrassed for the person that I was, but didn't want to be that person. And so even in terms of of my faith and in my Christian life, it was very perfectionistic and overachieving, wanting to do all the right things and fast the right number of days and read my Bible the right number of times. Um, so even though I was growing in a relationship with him, there was this expectation that I believed that God had on me because of not measuring up um, and just wanting so, so much to be a different person and being ashamed of that person. Now, as an adult, I'm sure you're aware that this is a fairly unusual amount of trauma for, for a child to go through. Did you know that at the time, or did I, you think this is kind of the normal for everybody had struggles like this? I had no idea at the time, and and I believed that the the sexual trauma was my fault. I truly mm. believed that I had placed myself in those positions. I believed that it was something about me that invited it. Um, because you believed the lie that adult you trusted said to you exactly. in regard to that first 
encounter. Exactly, that, that I had put myself in that position and that she wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. And because mm-hmm. it did, I just thought, well, she knows me better than anybody. And, and sure enough, it's, it's continuing to happen. And so it has to be about me. So I tried really hard just to cover all of that up and to love Jesus as best I could and to move on. And I really did love my first few years in college. They were the best years of my life, partly, I think, because I was out of the home. I was growing in my relationship with Christ. I was coming into being my own person, but I'd never processed any of the hard that at that time I just knew as my normal, but I'd never talked about any of it. Um, When I was a junior, my little brother that remember I had vowed to protect went to college. And so I just thought that we had known trouble before. But when he went to college his first year, it just was was out of control. And I worried so much for him and felt it felt so out of control because there was nothing that I could do about it. I couldn't get to him. I could only call him and lecture him and remind him of all of the things, but I, I could not control what he was doing. And so trouble just looked a lot darker and had a lot a lot more significant of consequences the older that he got now as he's an adult and he is living on his own. Okay. I was also taking 21 college credit hours, again, being that overachiever. Mm. I was interpreting three sign language classes for the deaf. I was on this full scholarship singing team, so traveling every weekend, three-hour rehearsals every day. Wow. Um, and I also had met a man that I thought I was going to marry. We were going to be missionaries. I just thought he was the greatest thing in the world. He loved me, what I thought was well, and we were planning to be married. And the more we talked about having a life together, the more I just kind of had these this downward spiral of thoughts inside, thinking he has no idea who I really am. He mm. thinks I'm this wonderful, good, Christian, holy, pure girl. He has no idea the filthy person mm. that I am. And so I just couldn't get past that, especially when we were really seriously talking about getting married. And so I, again, never shared any part of of the sexual um, abuse and trauma that uh, with anybody, because I, I didn't believe that it was that. I believed that these were things that, that, that were my fault. But I, I felt like he had to know that if he was going to marry me. And so one afternoon, I just told him about one of the things that had happened to me that I now know was actually rape, but at the time did not did not know that or believe that. And it was another one of those instances flashed back to that 12-year-old girl that just wanted to be scooped up and told it was going to be okay. And I just I just so hoped that he would love me anyway. And you, this was a courageous step. It, yeah. it, it, it took everything in me mm-hmm. to, to, to at least own it. And it was just one of, of many things that had happened. Um, but he, I remember him like crumbling to the ground with his head in his hands, literally broken in tears. And when I tried to comfort him, he, he just said that he didn't even know what to do because his whole life he had prayed that God would allow him to marry a virgin and that I could never be that. And I remember him very clearly saying, I always wanted to marry a woman that was pure and you can't be. And it was another one of those moments, like when I was 12 years old, when I just felt the, the dirt and the filth of the whole world on me. And things began to change in our relationship really quickly. He began became very controlling, 
very manipulative emotionally. And I was so desperate for him to love me. I just held on and did whatever it was that he that he asked and tried to continue loving him, hoping that he would in turn find love for me again. But I was taking a PE class and very sadly, one of, and this was again in the middle of my brother spiraling and taking 23 credit hours, never processing any of the trauma. Now this rejection from my unspoken fiance. So in this PE class, part of our grade was our BMI. And my BMI, that's horrible, by the way, so horrible that that would be part of a grade. I would be graded on my body. Now, for those who don't, for anyone who perhaps doesn't know, BMI stands for body mass index. Yes. It's one, it's supposedly uh, an objective standard by which people can determine if their weight is appropriate. And it's actually very unobjective, but that's right. another co- topic for another day. Right. But but I was graded on this, and it fell in the B range, which was mortifying to me that my body would be a B. And so another part of the course was that we had to write down everything that we ate and everything that we drank, and we were required to do some type of cardio five days a week, and we had to write that down as well. And so I just thought, I'm like any other college kid. I've always wanted to lose X number of pounds. This is the perfect opportunity to do it and get that A that I believed was, I mean, I had A's and everything else. That had to be an A. My body had to be an A if everything else was. And so I just started into writing everything down that I intake, all of my intake, writing that down, um, all of my exercise, writing that down. And very quickly, my mind, my subconscious began to see that if I eat this much and I move this much, then I weigh this much. And if I eat this much and move this much, then I weigh this much. And subconsciously, I was also learning that the harder I ran and the less that I ate, the less I felt. And it was this emotional anesthetic that I didn't even know that I was looking for, but was desperate for. And so throughout that semester, I ran harder and harder and harder and ate less and less and less. And I did get that A that I worked so hard for. And it, the, the semester ended, that class ended, but it was only the beginning of my eating disorder. And within a couple of months, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa and, and pretty much lost everything by the end of the next semester. I was... I'm told that I could not live on campus anymore because I was not safe to do so. I wasn't medically stable and I was too much of a liability. So I had to move home and commute an hour and 45 minutes each way. Is this the way. administration telling you this? Yes. Or? Yes. Um, and part of it was because I didn't want help. I, I was fine. I kept telling everybody, I'm fine. This is totally under control. I'm just on a health journey and I'm fine. Um, but I was also released from the singing team. And so I lost my scholarship and lost people that were like family to me. I lost my interpreting job. And um, and my unspoken fiance pretty much just walked away. That was before cell phones or anything else. And he just quit answering the phone. He quit calling. He wouldn't come to the door when I would go to his apartment. Um, he just walked away. Um, so I began commuting. And even at my home church, my my dad, who was the pastor at that time, told me that I, I was not a- allowed to even sing um, anymore, and I couldn't lead worship because people couldn't stand to look at me. And so I just was in a really desperate place and really just wanted it all to end. I, I had no reason to live, and that's when uh, the Lord brought my husband into my life, and I know that he sent him to save me from myself. Um, 
and um, obviously just for a beautiful future with him. But I've always said, I know that he loves me for me because everybody else said that they couldn't stand to look at me and he fell in love with me. And he held my hand and began to walk that road of recovery with me. And I, I did get the help that I needed, but only the beginning of the help. Um, as soon as I started feeling better and at least got to a place that people weren't raising their eyebrows and concern anymore, I stopped going. I stopped going to counseling. I stopped going to see my dietitian, And I unfortunately got really good at covering up symptoms. And so okay. I did that for about 20 years. So you learned to manage it. I, I did and never talked about the roots of it. Nobody ever asked me about my past. Nobody ever asked me about relationships. There was no residential treatment at this point in time for you. It was the counseling and the dietitian. Right. It was residential was recommended, but I was a little stubborn and refused to go. Um, and so I was just doing things outpatient, but just talking about things on a really surface level. So not getting to the roots of anything. I also never told my husband about any of the things that had happened to me because I was so afraid that he would reject me again. And I have, I have regret for that. For you, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah. But I just, I, I loved him and I was so afraid that if he knew who I really was, that he wouldn't want me anymore. Mm. And so I just vowed that I would never be that person again and that I would just cover it all up. And um, so I just kept going. I just pursued, I, I, was, I was such an overachiever, such a perfectionist, such a people pleaser. Um, and I, I, I didn't even recognize that because it just became who I was. That's just the way that I lived. And so I did that fairly effectively for about 20 years um, until um, I was faced with some other um, adult trauma and I got kicked in the rear end with depression pretty mm. hard, pretty quickly. And it had an impact on our marriage and with our children. And so I realized I got to get some help because this is not going well. And so I went to see a therapist and um, he recommended family therapy. He said, but let's just start with you. And so he started asking me questions that nobody had ever asked me before about my past and about relationships. And the Lord um, blessed me with having a therapist who was married to my best friend. And so it was such, the world would say that just doesn't work. Um, but God knew it was what I needed because it was a safe place for me to be able to, to talk about these things that had happened to me for the first time and for my therapist to be able to say, Amy, that was not your fault. Amy, that was abuse. Amy, that was, he was able to put labels to things, but even in that place, I just couldn't believe it. It just, I, I had believed the lies for so many years that it just, it, it, I, I could not hear truth in that. And so, you know, this, this eating disorder that I'd suppressed for about 20 years, kind of dabbled in behaviors, but nothing enough to raise anybody's eyebrows. But when I began talking about that trauma, it was almost as if somebody threw like kerosene and a match on the eating disorder and it just exploded and it got really bad really quickly. And so I, I had to make the hardest decision I've ever made. And I had to, I had to leave my husband, I had to leave my four children and I had to go away to treatment. And unfortunately, the first time I went to treatment, I went on my own timeline. I said, I'm going to give you your 30 days and then I got to get back because my family needs me. And I, I was just so ashamed that I would be such a horrible mother that I would need to leave them to get help for something that I felt like I should have had in control. And so I, I went home um, against clinical advice the first time, but within three months found myself to be 
in an even worse place. And the Lord actually used my my high school children um, to save my life. They sat me down one night and they said, Mom, you are killing yourself and you're making us watch and that's not fair. You have to get help. They said, we hated it when you were gone, but but you have to go away again because we are not okay with watching you die. Mm. And I didn't believe there was any hope for me. That's that's the enemy who is who blinds you from the truth. I believed that they would be so much better off without me that that they they I needed to go away so that they could have the mother that they deserved. But God used them. That was a stop the world moment to to realize even if I didn't think there was any hope, I had to try. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to treatment and um, went back that time promising to trust the process to stay as long as was necessary. And I did. And I, I came home and I wish I could tell you that it was all perfect and glorious and rainbows and butterflies, but that's just not the way recovery goes. And it was a long, hard road. But I am thankful to be sitting here in front of you today, praising God and giving Him glory to say that I am fully recovered from my eating disorder. And now it is my joy to be able to pour into the lives of others. Which is the perfect segue into us now transitioning the conversation to Bring Your Brokenness Ministry. Awesome. And Karis House. Yes. But unfortunately, we're out of time for this episode. We can't do it in this episode, but that's okay, because we're going to do another one. Okay. So want to invite our listeners back for an additional episode, part three, in our interview with Amy Shields, and that'll be up in a few days. So, Amy, thanks for sharing this portion of your story. Thank you so much And I'm for looking forward me. to hearing all about Bring Your Brokenness in Karis House. Thanks for listening to this episode of Sound of Truth. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review it. Also, tell your friends about it. Thanks. Music is by Canon and is used by permission. Sound of Truth podcast is produced in collaboration with Harvest Jacksonville and is copyrighted by Brett Amorani, 2023.